Welcome to Transformers, the podcast about how business people and policymakers are creating a sustainable future. I'm your host, Kai Embren. Today, my guest is Sean Kidney, a key influencer in the green finance market. He's the CEO and co-founder of the Climate Bonds Initiative, created in 2010 and headquartered in London. He has had an outstanding role in the engaging capital markets to invest in climate solutions. Sean working to reach a $100 trillion bond market and will talk to us about the market's drivers and tools for issuers, investors, governments and municipalities to help us to understand how the green bond investments can deliver a low carbon economy. Welcome, Sean. Thank you, Kaj. Thank you for having me. It's an honor to be on a podcast with such an eminent sustainability activist as you. Thank you. The unexpected shock of the pandemic hit the global markets really badly. How is the performance of green bonds in the current pandemic? Well, I mean, they grew 50% last year. It's their fastest growing asset class on the planet last year. But yeah, like all markets, we saw moments of collapse during February and March, February in China. And in March, in fact, the issuance is only 20% of what it was the previous March. By April, it bounced back up to 85%. And the level of issuance in April has been matched by the level of issuance in May. So we're doing quite well in terms of relative recovery, this particular market. There's been some amazing deals, like Swisscom was 14 times oversubscribed for the half a billion dollar bond. Uh, Iberdrola was 11 times oversubscribed for its 750 million euro bond. Some equivalents in China, too, with incredibly low interest rates being achieved. Mm. So there's a lot of good news here. It's growing. But you know what? There is something I have to alert you to, which is an astounding outcome in the midst of this crisis that we're having, which is we've seen now the flowering of bonds that promise to do good while giving people a return. The thematic idea, which the green bond is all about, which is simply I'm going to issue that bond and while I'm at it, I'm going to invest it in things which are material to achieving a better world, is now been copied. So we saw over the last couple of years the growth of social and sustainability bonds up to about 20% the size of the green bond market or 15%. But this year we've seen the rise of COVID bonds. There's been 700 in China alone so far this year. And they look and talk and smell like a green bond, i.e. people aren't just raising money in the market. They're raising money and promising to do good, which, Kaj, is what you've been fighting for all your life. You're a sustainable finance person. And this is what we're now seeing is overtaking the bond market. So in that sense, if you like, the victory of the green bond is absolute. People are not so well aware about the different types of names of green bonds. And, and good point. I think if for the listener, it could be interesting if you can help us navigate through this investment opportunity and explain what climate bonds, green bonds, and social bonds are. Blue What's bonds, pink bonds, there are many kinds of bonds. Like <laughs> We have a rainbow. It's a very simple idea. If I want to borrow money for something, start off with development banks borrowing money, there are many investors and now most institutional investors, who are concerned about how the money is being used in relation to other risks. This arose out of environmental, social and governance work and the equity side, which is looking at effectively more sophisticated framework for understanding risk, which is looking at the extent to which labour rights, governance risks, 
And, of course, environmental risks can also be predictors of good returns over a period of time. Now, in the bond market, we've decoupled that a little bit in the sense that we are not trying to bring in ESG credit risk methodologies into this market. We're simply saying you've got a, a methodology for assessing the credit risk of bonds, which is typically hiring features or, or, or standards and pores to do it. But we're going to give you an extra filter, is that all things being equal, you ought to be looking for bonds that also address the biggest risk to the planet at the moment, which is climate change. A bond is a simple thing, right? All it is is a loan. And in this case, it's a loan with conditions. So if you decide to borrow from your brother money to buy a car and your brother says, sure, I'll give you the money cash because I know you can pay me back, but if I'm going to lend you the money, I'd really rather you bought an electric car because petrol cars are bad for the environment. And you say, deal done. If you lend me the money, I promise I'm only going to buy an electric car. And what's more, I'll come around every Christmas and take you for a drive and it just to show I've still got the electric car. That's what a green bond is. It's yeah. as simple as that. But this is a problem to have this type of numbers of names. People get confused what this stands for. It is, and investors are not happy with it. My friend Ashley Shulton at uh, BlackRock, for example, the global head of sustainable finance, is, is of the view we should just stick to one name. Mm. But markets are like that, aren't they? So mm. we've seen blue bonds, which as far as I'm concerned, are green bonds for water projects or marine protection, appear. There's only a few of them, but they've appeared. We've seen sustainability bonds, which originally started when the state of North Rhine-Westphalia couldn't get enough things to put to justify a green bond. So the bankers said, why don't you throw in public housing investments as well? And we'll call it, it's a mixed bond. We'll call it a sustainable bond. <laughs> yeah, when you you have the, the social development goals and the UN strategy of, of needs of investment in different areas, it's a sort of a flower of areas uh, in Correct. the SDGs. And, of and course, we, we have seen SDG bonds as well. We've also seen a pink bond from the World Bank, which was a gender support bond, gender programs support bond. So it's good. I mean, the basic concept is capital with purpose. That's mm. all it is. Now, if you want to invest, one thing you now have the option as an investor to do is to invest for a comparable return. This is not about haircuts. This is not about lower rates to do things for the good. It's the same return, but you can ask or you can choose an investment where the investor says they're also going to do X, Y, and Z that'll support the community, the planet, or whatever. And this is a, a fabulous development, really, because by making it simple and divorcing it from the much more complex issues of underlying the underlying risk, what we've said is anyone can issue one of these. A government, France, has issued 25 billion of them, euros so far, for example. Or you can get a city issuing one. Some cities in the US have issued $5 million-sized bonds, Anyone who can issue debt can issue one of these. The only differentiating factor is they promise to invest the proceeds in a way that contributes to the environment or to society in some way. So that's the starting point. Now, when this started, it was up to the investors to decide whether they liked the contribution. It was generally development banks who issued these, reasonably trustworthy institutions. Although when the World Bank did their first green bond, Robert Zolik who was a Bush-era appointee, was in charge of it. And the Swedish pension funds who were being asked to invest said, Robert Zolik was behind that coal-fired power plant in South Africa. We're a little bit worried about it. So the World Bank, with their underwriter, SEB, and bank actually out of Sweden, 
then said, well, look, why don't we get an independent review of what we're planning to do? Great idea. They contracted the University of Oslo's Climate Change Research Centre called Cicero, who wrote a paper about where the World Bank was going to put the money and said, yes, these are consistent with climate. In fact, they said a couple of things weren't consistent is the gossip. My World Bank friends deny this, but the gossip was, and they took them out of the portfolio, adjusted it to be consistent with Cicero's view, and that was the beginning of the green bond market. Well, not quite. The European Investment Bank had issued a climate awareness bond a few months before. But that was the first one with an independent review. And that laid the foundations to confidence in the market because all green bonds in Europe now get some form of independent review about the green credentials, which means the investor has to do less work because they get a report putting out the claims. And as time has gone on, that framework for what counts has become more and more developed. So the Climate Bonds Initiative, as you know, Kaj, has been developing taxonomy and certification schemes and detailed definitions for is this transport in or investment correct or not for the last eight years. And then the big news in the last few years has been the Chinese Green Projects Catalogue, which is a shopping list for what qualifies, and now the European Taxonomy of Sustainable Finance that had a lot to do with over the last 20 months which is regulated definitions of what you can call sustainable. It's exciting because on the back of this, we've got a market that's now about trillion dollars outstanding. We're not talking about a few million here, folks. We're talking about a very substantial market. Yeah, you talk mostly over the 100 trillion US dollar bond market. So it's a substantial amount of money. Of course, as soon as you say 100 trillion, you remind me that we have only got 1% of the market and we need at least half the market. And yes, we've got a long way to go. But the appetite is very strong. You know, I have had a couple of phone calls today with uh, finances, the market. And the one thing I can say absolutely certainly is that there is no, no amount of demand for this product. What we have is a lack of supply. We need to bring more issuers to market to meet the investor demand, which is a fantastic position to have. So now what we can do is spend time educating companies about what qualifies and governments about what qualifies and help them to issue in this particular market with all the benefits of participating in it. That's a much better problem than the other problem to have. <laughs> no demand. That would be a problem. No, maybe not a big problem to have different names on the bonds, but the basic thing is the value-based. And as I understand also, the time, it has been more and more important to rate the bonds and certify them. So that's maybe the, yes. the most important to look at when you look at the quality of it and what they can deliver. And the certification scheme that we run has grown, and it's about 20% of global issuance at the moment. Mm-hmm. There's more and more appetite for it. And then, of course, the European Green Bond Standard effectively sets up a European certification scheme to govern the market. And in China, which is the largest green bond market in the world, you have to meet tough government regulations to qualify. So there's a lot more rigor in this than there was when we started a few years ago. And that's good because yeah. as it grows and becomes bigger, there's a lot more risk of scams and, and greenwashing. And so far we're doing reasonably okay with that, mm. especially as governments are now starting to look at incentives for this mm. as a fiscally efficient way to address their public policy priorities around climate change. But the Chinese government has a whole range of incentives. You know, if you borrow money as a bank at the liquidity lending window of the central bank in China and post green bonds as collateral, you get a 1% discount on wholesale funds, which is pretty cool. Every bank in Europe would die for that. 
And we're going to see more incentives like that in the future, which, of course, means the definitions have got to be more robust. If we don't uh, leave the sort of definition of things when we talk about green bonds, uh, something that often coming back, and you also talk about the secondary market of a green bond. Can you explain what it is and why it's so interesting? Well, markets are made up of people buying and selling. There's two kinds of selling in the bond market. When you issue a bond up front, you talk to a whole lot of investors. There's different forms of ways of achieving a price with the investors. It might be an open auction approach, but whatever. You settle on a price and the investors give you the money and you sign a contract to pay a percentage interest to them each year. Or if it's a German Bund, actually it's a negative interest. So it's a bit of a, a bit of a weird one, but whatever, that's the principle. It's a bit like a debt, you know, you lend me some money, I give you a bit of paper, a contract to confirm that you've lent me the money and I promise to give you something each year as interest rate. That's all it is, right? Simple. Of course, the interesting thing about the bond market and why from a macroeconomic term it's been very interesting is that you can also sell on that contract. So now that you've got a contract from me and you've lent me money, you could then sell that to someone else for a cash-in, if you like, the contract early, even though I'm not obliged to pay you back for 10 years, and someone else says, look, I'll buy it from you at a slight discount because you need the money now. That's a market, and that's a secondary market. So there's a hell of a lot of buying and selling of bonds and green bonds that goes on in the market. And a lot of people churn their portfolio. They buy on primary. If the market looks really good for that particular kind of bond, because some reason there's a really big demand, often in a depression, they will sell their bonds and then buy them back later at a better price. All this sort of stuff goes on. So in the secondary market, what we've seen is that green bonds are very valuable. They get a lot of more bids and they're seen as a premium product. People pay a bit more for them. Now, why is that? Well, Possibly initially because it was a scarce commodity and yet there was a lot of demand mentioned to you that it used to be strong. And some people don't buy on primary, that is, when the bond first comes out. They wait till it goes to the secondary market and becomes liquid because they're very worried about liquidity. Mm. You know, some people have to be, you know, like an insurance company mm. who's at risk of a typhoon in Tokyo and $7 billion of claims has to be able to cash in a whole lot of bonds to pay out the claims. So for that, they prize liquidity above yield, the interest rate. They've got to have bonds. They know they can sell tomorrow. And these bonds have been liquid in the market and better priced, so they're very attractive. You've seen some interesting things happen when you get crashes in the past, when a market crash. So what a mar- you know, some kind of major economic event, like Italy having a crisis and people, why they're going to default, or sometimes it's Donald Trump tweeting something. So the market goes into wobbles. And ordinary prices of vanilla bonds, they're called standard bonds, drop. That is, people start trying to sell them off. But green bond prices hold their value. That is, they don't become a lower value during the course of an otherwise major market correction. They're called a value retention instrument. And in bond market, people are worried about liquidity. In case something happens, they've got to be able to sell to pay you because you're demanding your money and your insurance product today. But they also want to make sure they don't lose money in the meantime. They want a bit of yield, but they also got to make sure that the value of the bond doesn't go down, because if you come in and claim your $10 billion payout and their bond's only worth $9 billion, they are stuck. Right? They've got to make sure it stays. So suddenly what a green bond, which is better at maintaining its value in secondary markets than ordinary bonds, whoa, this is gold dust. 
And that just fuels further demand for green bonds in the secondary market. Now, if you're an issuer coming to market, like Iberdrola or Swisscom I mentioned recently, what you now find is there's a whole lot of people who think your bond is valuable in the secondary market. So they're willing to bid a little bit more aggressively to get a slice of You get lower interest rates. Cool for the green factor. And that's how the secondary market is driving the depression of price in the, what they call the primary market. Now, that's in liquid currencies, which means US dollars, euros, and we see it in renminbi now as well. So you see that it's a growing interest in the secondary market? A lot of investors will only invest in a bond if it's going to have a secondary market because of the liquidity problem. I mean, some are different. There are insurance investors who, for part of their portfolio, particularly, say, the life insurance portfolio, will take a risk and they'll say, on average, I need to get money this, 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 this year. So I'm going to need $30 billion in 2039. So they're happy to buy a bond which doesn't expire till 2039. That is, they're not going to get their money back till 2039 when it becomes due and the government of yeah. Germany has to then pay them the money because they don't need it till then and they're very happy to know that they've got a safe, secure investment. Yeah. To It's called matching assets and liabilities long term. So there is a market for that sort of stuff. Yeah. But the majority of the market, they need some kind of liquidity. They need to be able to trade a little bit. And all we're doing here is saying, you know, you can get that as an insurance company. You can get your 30-year bond. You can get a liquid bond as well. And you can get something extra. Let's call it a bonus feature. It's a bit like a, mm. a free set of Japanese steak knives, <laughs> if you like. And yeah. in this case, the bonus feature is the bond goes to addressing another risk that you're really worried about, but you don't know what to do about. And that's climate change. Because it's very difficult for individual investors to manage what I'm going to call a societal risk. You know, in a crash, everyone suffers in 2008 in the COVID crisis. You can't really have picked, you know, will some bonds be safer than others as a rule? It's all about some economies be safer than others. It's very hard, which is why it's very difficult to translate addressing climate change into investment policy. I mean, some people are, by the way, and doing a great job, but it's tough. In this case, you get the best of both worlds. You buy a bond that meets your current investment strategy, meets liquidity concerns, and then as a bonus feature, the money goes to something material to addressing climate change, like investing in a solar farm. Yeah. Well, if one of our listeners will move into this market, what assurance would an investor have to put money in the climate change or green or social bond? Well, in principle, it's all up to the investor, except in regulated markets like China and Europe in the future, where there's now going to be regulatory support to ensure if you label something in a certain way, it has to be done in a certain way. We now have some rule sets, some protocols that have been developed around reporting and transparency and the kind of things you can promise to do. If you get certification, you get a detailed review of the allocation of use of proceeds of the bond against a climate framework, which is in this case a client bonds taxonomy and soon the EU taxonomy. So there's growing rule sets in the area. If you invest in COVID bonds at the moment, or which I said there's been a 700 plus issued, mm. there's no rule set. And we're hoping to work on that fairly quickly. But there are some odd ones. You know, for example, there was a Chinese oil company that issued a COVID bond and the money went down to paying down working capital. Oh, 
I don't know. (laughs) That's why I think that maybe that's uh, the bonds are rated and certified. It's give sort of minimize the risk of uh, greenwash. Correct. Well, that's where we're going. So every time a new theme comes along, a rule set starts developing. We do have at least a common rule set about the nature of disclosures, which is really good. That is, you can get information, and there's a way you have to provide information. So that is a start. You can have a look at the prospectus from that oil company, and it'll tell you how it's going to invest the money, and you can make your own judgment. So that's the minimum level. Mm-hmm. But what we're doing now is we're moving in some countries to tougher rules on what you can include. So as an investor, you don't have to worry too much because you know there's a regulator managing all climate bond certification, managing the market, so you can have some confidence that it's going the right direction. And that's a feature of the green market. It's becoming a feature of the sustainable market, and it will be a feature in future of the social and SDG and COVID market. But at the moment, we're not quite there. We're, it's happened very quickly, the growth of this market. We're still figuring out some rule sets to apply. I see. You named before uh, China as a, a big actor in this field, but which are the countries who are leading when we look at the green bond market today? Well, the biggest per capita issuer of green bonds in the world is your home country car, Sweden. Interesting. Small population, but the investors there have been very, very strong and popular. It's not Nordic all over. I mean, Denmark and Finland are way behind on a per capita basis compared to Sweden. France, Netherlands are strong markets. Germany's now a strong market. It's becoming a strong market. But in terms of overall issuance, Europe is the leader in aggregate, the European Union, but in individual countries, this is the tension, isn't it, between Europe becoming a federation versus others. As an economic area, it's clearly Europe. But in individual countries, I think it goes China, US, France at the moment. If you look at uh, sort of uh, combine uh, or look at the different national governments, municipalities or corporations in sort of percentage of, of this governance structure or... So globally, if we look in globally, of the, what is it, 850, 900, or about $900 billion of green bonds outstanding, about 60 billion are sovereign bonds hmm. at the moment issued by countries. Now, globally, the bond market is 55% government issuance. So we've got a lot of catching up to do with this one. But the sovereign green bond market has only taken off relatively recently, with France being by far the largest issuer, something like 23 billion euros or thereabouts. And then the other big ones being the Netherlands, Ireland, Chile, Poland, Spain and Sweden have announced that they're coming to market with sovereign green bonds later this year. Italy's looking at the topic and so on. We've also seen some emerging market green bonds. We've seen ones from Fiji was the first emerging market. Oh, I see. Uh, Nigeria's done two. In fact, today there was an announcement that China's planning to do COVID bonds later in July. So that'll be their first national sovereign issuance. There's a lot of subnationals uh, by cities or states in countries where they're allowed to issue. I mean, Gothenburg, for example, a place you know well, has been a a successful issuer of green bonds for many years, as is Malmo, as is Stockholm. Cities in Sweden have the right to issue green bonds. In the UK, it's a bit more complicated. There are approvals from central government. But we think we'll see something this year. Ile-de-France and Paris have both issued green bonds and sustainable bonds for some years. Um, 
States in the US, Massachusetts and California have issued green bonds, Ontario for Toronto public transport, and so on. Cape Town, the city of Cape Town has issued green bonds, uh, and so on and so on. Wuhan, actually, the centre of the COVID, has also issued bonds, and they've issued a series of bonds. They issued Wuhan railway bonds for the finance the subway. It's all over, Kaj. It's amazing how many people are doing this now. It's interesting to see also municipalities. You named Gothenburg in Sweden, and um, I can see that it's a very important issue around the leadership in the municipality to expand their view of uh, green finance because they normally have uh, to work on budgets, but they are not uh, working closely to investors. So it was interesting to see how Gothenburg went to be world leader on green bonds, municipality bonds. The reason was that it was a strong political will from the beginning. And uh, the head of finance in Gothenburg, he went in to have a coffee with the head of environment. And then after that, they were world leaders in municipality green bonds. (laughs) So it's a question of leadership that uh, you can expand the market. I think this work uh, could be interesting to look at how the process works in the municipality. Look, it is an interesting point, and the former treasurer of Gothenburg, Magnus Borrelius, was the guy who uh, really got this through and became a, a great enthusiast for it after that cup of coffee. And more to the point, I used him to advise municipalities around the world. He was enthusiastic enough. He was happy to lend his time for free, by the way, or rather on the pay of, of the city of Gothenburg, to advise municipalities around the world about how to do this, and Gothenburg was very proud of its role in doing that. It does take leadership. And we put out, in fact, Green Bond Pioneer Awards each year. We're about to do after the hatches, the COVID, the 2019 awards for people who have been first. You do have to think a bit afresh about doing this. You have to uh, convince your fellow decision makers that it's worth going out of your way to stick your neck out and make a claim about the green stuff you're doing. Yeah, there's stuff to be done. The good news is, uh, Kaj, despite every treasurer, that I know who's done a green bond, being cautious and anxious beforehand and uncertain it was a really good idea, I've yet to meet a treasurer who didn't think it was a good idea once it was issued. They got so much positive feedback about it. So it seems to work for people on various levels. Well, uh, even if uh, we have a, a cluster of sort of forefront runners in Sweden, we have the Commune Invest, which is also we may be in very interesting model of, of developing of small municipalities that need support for investment. Pension funds, you have the real estate companies, you have banks in Sweden that has been in forefront of the green bond market. But apart from Sweden, where are the most progressive green bonds initiative? The most progressive green bonds issued? Yeah. Well, it depends what you mean by progressive. Oh, innovative and... Uh, because... The reason I say this, Kaj, is institutional investors don't like innovation. (laughs) What they want is something that is conservative-looking. You know how banks used to have Roman columns at the front of their entrances to make them look like they were 2,000 years old, whatever. Well, bonds have got to do the same thing. Most investors are looking for safety, not excitement. No one ever accused a bond investor of, of searching for excitement. Because they are people like insurance funds and pension funds who are mainly worried about paying out your pension or your insurance claim sometime in the future. 
So they're matching assets and liabilities. They're not looking for stratospheric Goldman Sachs-style profits. It's a different market. Now, that means we go to a lot of trouble to focus on things that are boring. The best newspaper covering headline we ever had for this market after interview I did at The Economist was boring green bonds. It was fantastic. And that sums it up. <laughs> the, so we've got to be careful about innovation. However, yeah, well, I get what you're saying. Yeah. Let me give you some flavours of green bonds that have been around the world. I do like the French sovereign bond, and I'm, an, I'm on the advisory committee for the because the scale of what they're doing, the amount of issuance is so big, it's woken up the world to what's being possible. So that's one form of innovation. And they then have looked across their annual budgets for the French government to look at things that should be classified and disclosed and expanded as green as part of that bond. So that is really a landmark issuance from my perspective. The Dutch sovereign, on the other hand, had a different kind of flavour. It was the first resilience-focused bond. The bulk of proceeds went for coastal protection improvements in the context of rising sea levels and storm surges. Again, a critically important area that people don't think enough about. And by doing a bond like that and drawing attention to those investments, there was an education device in its own right. There's a couple of examples. The first bank bond, which was actually issued by Bank of America Merrill Lynch, which so the commercial bank could do it, that's a different kind of innovation. These are pioneer bonds. The first green Schulschein, which is a German type of loan in Germany, was a very boring, I have to say. It was very boring, as you would expect, but it showed that this can go to other forms of debt, and now we have a whole series of Schulstein. The first covered green bonds that was issued by Berlin here many years ago in Berlin was great because it showed how you can use the covered bond regulation legislation, which exists in multiple countries, to do a subset of that with a green theme, be accepted by the regulators, and be accepted by the market and be a, a crazy success. So that's a different kind of innovation. That was around green property, energy-efficient property. We've seen really small bonds in the UK, B Electric, the German solar company, yeah. issued a couple of six million pound bonds, which they raised money for local solar developments they were doing, but they sold it to local residents. So it gave local residents a way of participating in the deal. It was a standard bond guaranteed by them, but available to local people. Nice. So that was a nice bit of innovation. There's lots of things like this, Kaj. Well, as we talk from the beginning about the need to expand this market, then my question, of course, to you as a leader of an organization that promotes green bond solution, how does your organization support the green bonds market's development? So we're the kind of international NGO for green bonds. Now, I stress objective as an organization is not to grow a green bonds market. That's a strategy on the way to our real objective, which is to mobilize global capital for climate action. I mean, the real test of success here is, do we act? And do we act fast enough? Because the time's very quick. The green bond market has been very successful at two things. First, it's created enthusiasm for the idea that investing in climate solutions can actually be an opportunity. It can actually be an opportunity without too much risk. And that has broadened, opened up people's minds. It's turned what has been a problem investment. That is, how do I deal with the problems in my portfolio because of climate change and do, oh, I can invest in things that will make money and, by the way, might be less risk 
because the investments are less likely to be hit by policy changes and so on in governments. And that's been an important success, I'm going to say, in doing this. Now, on the back of that, we get a couple other things happening. We didn't get investors realising they could do a lot. We've now got a leaching of green finance into the green debt market, loans from banks. In China, green loans are 10 times the size, that market 10 times the size of the green bond market, and China's already the largest green bond market. The theme has taken off into other sectors with banks saying things to the clients, tell us what you're doing that is consistent with addressing climate change and we'll give you a green loan. Now, Tixis in France even gives you a discount if they can give you a green loan. So this is a nice movement. The second part, and the big win for me, is that governments have begun to realise they can finance their climate goals for the private sector, that they could raise money at possibly a cheaper rate for these sorts of things. When Chile issued its first green bonds, pesos and one in uh, euros, I think it was, they got the lowest bond rates that ever achieved in history for the government. The Ministry of Finance now is an enthusiast for climate investments because they know that's going to be particularly good for them to raise money. Now, that means they're the ones who phone up the Ministry of Climate Change or the Ministry of Environment, tell us what you're doing that we can include in our sovereign green bond. And I can tell you the folks in the Ministry of Climate and the Ministry of Environment were shocked <laughs> because getting a meeting in Ministry of Finance is one of the hardest things to do when you're in another ministry. No, they got phoned. And this is a regular story in this. Nice. So we're not so much just trying to create a nice market. We are essentially creating a market as bait for action. We're creating a market to show what could be done and to show how to do it and get people excited about doing this in a way which is physically responsible, meets investor needs, and changes the planet at the same time. That's the real objective here. But it means that you have a, a sort of a mission to reach out to different target groups. And how do you reach out? To, I can see that you are traveling a lot around the world, but now you can't travel. And you have to find other way of how to support the development. And how do you see the, the Climate Bonds Initiative? What sort of activities will we see from your organization at the time to come? Yes, you're right. We do a lot of communication. You know, we're training people, we do green bond boot camps, as we like to call them, webinars all the time. And now that we've got online, one unusual thing about this crisis is that the world has a common enemy for the first time in a long time. We didn't need to get the aliens for the movie Independence Day in. We've got COVID and everyone's in it at the same time. Lockdown was for a little while there universal. Now, that meant I could be doing online sessions the same way I'm talking to you with people from 12 or 15 countries online, whereas I couldn't get anyone to join last year. It's opened up fantastic opportunities for low-carbon communication, if you like, which is despite not travelling, as you're perfectly right, I used to be on a plane all the time, I've been doing at least a webinar or an international meeting like this every day and often four or five times a day. So the appetite's there. People can now participate more readily in these things in the past. So we do a lot of education. We do a lot of what I'd call thought leadership, putting out papers. We track the market, comment on it, including shaping the boundaries of it. If something's not good enough, in our view, we will say so. Investors can decide, in that case, whether they want to invest with at least our voice or something extra to their thinking. 
We supply the raw data for most of the green bond indices. We provide data for most of the large big investors about green bonds. So there's a whole piece of work which keeps on going on along there. We have a standards and definitions team that looks at new criteria. We've just published criteria for shipping investments that we can call climate relevant or green. And it's out for public consultation. It'll be closed in the near future. We'll be doing the same thing in a range of other areas in the near future and so on. We also have offices in multiple countries working with regulators, working with local investors and issuers to grow local markets and banks and do this uh, national level. And that's kind of what we do, Karsh. It seems to keep us off the streets. Well, it's a sort of you have you reduce your carbon footprint. It's a joy, <laughs> I have to say. <laughs> If we go out of the thinking of green bonds market, but to sort of look at green finance as a whole, uh, do you believe there will be a paradigm shift for the global finance market to go green? Well, I wouldn't call it an end objective, but I would call it an indicator of success of action climate. I mean, at the end of the day, every bond should be looked at at some point through a climate filter. Every investment, you're going to have to be thinking about resilience. Have we built this building with adequate insulation to deal with increasingly severe temperatures, which are going to happen everywhere from Tromso in Norway to Dubai in the Gulf? Have we thought about our transport infrastructure in terms of increased flooding that's going to become the norm anywhere that gets rainfall and then droughts in between? If you think in those ways, pretty well every investment is going to have to have some form of climate filter over it. So in that sense, the whole bond market should end up being green, right, once you bring in resilience as well as mitigation, including all the other areas of resilience, social, ecosystem resilience, that this crisis, this climate crisis we're in, because it started with pathogens jumping between species from degraded environments, which is a feature of climate change. All of those investments have to be made going forward. So how does the EU Green Deal fit into this? It's an example of a government realising they can do something. They can raise the money from the private sector with the right kind of strategy, but they have to take decisive action. We're lucky in Europe that we have reasonably coherent and sensible politicians who read a bit and have embraced this agenda recently. Thank you, European Parliament. Thank you, European Commission. And thank you, member states, for agreeing to this. And the green stimulus is exactly what needs to happen at the moment. Of course, it may not be quite as aggressive as I would like, that we haven't done enough yet on reforming the common agricultural policy to make it a carbon agricultural policy. We need to be sequestering in our soils and incentivizing people to do that, not just reducing emissions in our on-the-surface activities. There's a lot to be done. But it is very hopeful that we're getting the policy settings starting to move. Of course, that isn't happening in all countries. And that's our challenge as a society. And that's where capital comes in. Because capital, European capital, and other markets where capital is concerned this agenda, the US, Australia, Japan are global investors. Now, they can drive this push, this project of promoting green finance linked to climate change globally by starting to ask the companies that they invest in in every country in the world, what are they doing? And something that Swedish investors told me recently should be applied globally. Swedish investors said that when a company comes to market in Sweden and they don't issue a green bond, One of the first questions that they're asked by an investor, is there something we should know? 
you haven't issued a green bond yet. Is there something wrong? Are you on the wrong side of the equation? That's the question that should be asked everywhere in the world. Not that all your issuance needs to be green, but let's pull out and display what it is you are doing through the mechanism of issuing a green bond. Let's not be the last word uh, for this <laughs> talk. I must say that you have a mission to fulfill and um, there's still a lot of challenges, but you are on the right place at the right time. Be the driver for solutions. Thank you very much, Sean. And thank you for you take part of this podcast program, The Transformers. Thanks, Kaj, for having me on your show and good luck of it. And uh, may the force be with you. Thank you very much.